Welcome everybody to the All Heart Podcast. My name is Noni Lamar. And my name is Thea Monier. And this is a podcast about healing the culture through joy and pleasure. 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 All the pleasure you can stand. We're all snuggly today. We're snuggling. We're really close because <laughs> we have a guest. We have a guest. Well, we have a guest. Guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here on All Heart Podcast, my favorite podcast. Yes. Fumi Lola Fogbamila is my name. And should I say some things about myself? I can do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I can read your bio. So you want me to read your bio, oh, girl? No, you, has a oh, your bio. Your yes. bio is bomb. I love reading a good Correct. bio. Okay. Because people be putting efforts into their bio. She does. She's got this. Fumi Lola <laughs> is a scholar, activist, playwright, mm. and artist. Mm. She currently serves as a professor. Right. Okay. What's the stank on it? <laughs> a professor of Pan-African Studies at California State University, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. As one of the original organizers of the Black Lives Matter movement. Did y'all get that? This professor OG. was one of the OGs OG. of BLM movement. Gang, gang. Fumi Lola has been organizing with BLM since its inception in 2013. She mm. was there when, when the... The whole thing came together. When the sperm and the egg came yeah, I, you know, together. No, and, yeah, no, all of thought, it. I don't, I don't know the thought. Creation, creation, thought. creation thought. Her yes. current project entitled The Intersection, Woke Black Folk, is a stage play on the complexities of black political identity that has been met with critical acclaim by mm-hmm. thinkers and artists such as Angela Davis. Boom. Ooh. That's all you, you can My stop. And Erica Badu. Boom. Boom. It premiered to a sold-out house, of course, at the Pan-African Film Festival in Los Angeles as the featured theatrical production in March 2018. Mm. Mm. Y'all ain't ready for this next line. (laughs) Fumi Lola was honored by the U.S. Congress in both 2015 and 2018 for her commendable activist scholarship and artistic contribution this bitch is a genius mm-hmm. y'all what we're saying though okay all heart all heart community <laughs> she has delivered <laughs> keynote addresses at universities <laughs> across the country and is look i ain't even gonna Do it. go no, this is a bad bitch currently <laughs> and currently on a european tour this and europe a, wasn't ready it was they were europe ready. wasn't ready they still this is ready. a bad bitch we me and thea both know her separately and now we all together yes and i just want y'all to know she a bad bitch you know right. what it's we okay. don't have guests on here every day you know we, we only had the best we only had a, the creme de la creme <laughs> the creme de la creme friends the crust Fam- of the peach cobbler family <laughs> the crust <laughs> the crust of the peach cobbler the cheese on the map beautiful beautiful all heart community I've never had my bio you, and read you never will, it in will such never, a juicy juicy manner <laughs> In all of my days, I, I still days. owe money to um, UCLA Theater for Department that, yeah. for that um, performance. <laughs> you just paid them back. I, I pay every every fifteenth of every month. You just paid them back. There we go. That's all. Listen, I but but really, Lola, tell us a little bit about yourself, and mm-hmm. you know why why you up in here? Listen, I'm up in here because y'all was talking about me being a bad bitch. <laughs> I'm sitting with two of the baddest bitches that ever ever walked the land, <laughs> and so you know I'm here, excited to be talking to y'all, and so. We will get into conversation, yes. but um, some things about me, I am a listener of the All Heart Podcast, and mm-hmm. I am somebody that believes in, you know, really using logic and compassion to bring greater beauty into the world, mm-hmm. to 
bring greater health mm-hmm. and wellness into the world, the combination of those two things. And I think those are like the main themes that show up in my work, in um, in my scholarship, That's in my right. artistry, mm-hmm. in my theater work, in my um, community organizing contributions, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, it's interesting because, you know, we have our are kind of interestingly and beautifully constructed bios. And I think that the world might identify me or you, Thea, or you, Noni, as people that are activists, if we're engaging in critical conversations about things that need to be discussed in the world. Mm -hmm. You get easily labeled as Mm -hmm. like an activist, Mm -hmm. right? And for me, I've actually, in my adult life, kind of resisted Mm -hmm. that label a bit because I think that it does a particular thing when you make um, giving a damn about people and the world exceptional activity. Right. Mm. Right. That is is worthy of being clapped for. Right. Mm. Rather, what would it mean to normalize caring about right. things. Giving a fuck. <laughs> right. So that oh, those people. people are not exceptional. They get clapped for and get called activists, but rather they become engaging in what is very, what should be normal yes. behavior. Ooh, I love know? it. Yes. And so, but I'm just grateful to be here. I, I do art of mm-hmm. all kinds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we, I we understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I teach and, um, and learn from my students as well. And um, what else can I say? I'm just I'm just a student trying to gain as much knowledge as I can during my time here and be of service and also to make sure that I serve myself also and have the most kind of delicious life that I possibly mm-hmm. can as well. And knowing that that almost offers, um, how you can say, a permission yes. for others to yes. live a beautiful and Absolutely. delicious life. And of course, I'm saying delicious because I listened to I the love, last episode I love of, all, of All Heart. I want y'all to know she's up to date. I'm up to date. She wants you to know up to date. I love I I love a, that. I have a Lola story. Please. Put me a Lola story. So, was it a couple, two, three years ago I was doing, I don't know how long it's been since I did that, but I was helping with the Pan-African, you know I got you. I was helping with the uh, Pan-African Film Festival. So, we work on the same campus. And, and Funimilola was doing a poem. And let me tell y'all something. I love my peoples. We love our peoples. But we know one thing for sure. Getting that form to work on a timely manner That's right. has been the bane of our existence right. every year that we do it. Yes. It's always amazing. It's always a great time. Struggle. But those of us behind the curtain, yes. we'd be like, oh, you know, the saints are waiting <laughs> at the theater for the main guest. They'd be like, they right. wait, we're going to take these pictures and honor two we'll more students. And we so we do it in Funmi Lola had this poem. And this is when I met the artist in, in mm. Funmi Lola. Had this poem. And she felt so moved. She's like, no, I have to deliver this entire poem. And I was like, and I have to get all these people out of here at a certain time. But when she went out there and she did her poem, and I, can't, I think you did the whole poem. I can't remember. Um... Everybody was so engaged. It was, I think it was the second time I seen you do it because mm-hmm. what, the first time was when we worked with um, the Pan-African Student Resource Center for the women's thing they were doing yes. for black women. Yes. So this was the second time. And that's when I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I fired a met fire because these two Leos, <laughs> I was like, and she slipped out there and won. But it was a beautiful, the, the, the way the families were engaged and everybody was engaged. It was such a beautiful moment. And seeing you come back as a professor and work as a professor. Mm-hmm. So it's how much do the students love 
taking your classes, loving. It's been a beautiful thing to watch as well as somebody just working with you on the campus. And plus, so, you're so young. You. Like that's always what touches me about you. You're so young. Like you're still in your twenties, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're still you're, yeah. You're still so young, and you're such a mature person. Like so dedicated and humble even when you're talking about what your work is and that it's really about caring like mm-hmm. I mean it has to be it, has, I, it to has, be. has to be or else we're engaging in some really strange ego-centered things and I think that like the ego serves a purpose right mm-hmm. um but but before we even kind of dive into that as you all are talking about my work I would be you know it would just be ridiculous for me to not mention the fact that like the reason that I listen to all heart so consistently and like wait for y'all to post is because like I I feel fed when I listen Mm. to y'all like there's Mm. not a lot of women that I feel that I can actually be Mm. like let me get their take on this because I'm I'm learning you know you mentioned the fact that I'm I'm in my 20s still and I'm just like I feel super fed when I hear y'all's wisdom on these different topics and it's just what you've picked up over time and you've just no. become gurus at all of these oh, in, no, no, in no, these no, no, different no gurus. Oh, oh no gurus oh wait oh wait wait not no gurus <laughs> you've become proficient there you go there in you a go. number of different arenas yes in which i am still developing my capacity but i and I'm, because of that yeah. i'm grateful for your example mm. as big sisters <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. We that. Beautiful work. We receive you know, that. We receive it. So it's been great working with you. I got the opportunity to work with Fumi mm-hmm. Lola for a couple of years with BLM. Yeah. And it's just been, that was really a highlight of the time that I was at BLM. And yeah, I just learned so much from you too. So we're going to jump in and talk about what's on our heart because we, or else it's going to be a three hour episode. No, oh, I know. Right? I was already looking at it. I was like, we're probably going to be <laughs> off track today. Ooh, but we already off track. It is. Okay, I'm going to tell y'all what's on my heart. Um, What's on my heart is that article that was circulating this week about white women um, owning slaves. So somebody had put me (laughs) up on that a couple weeks ago. So uh, there's this article that's circulating saying, what was it, 40%? Yeah, 40%. 40% of white women during slavery times Mm -hmm. were actually slave owners. 40% 40% of 40%. And so this black woman, hmm. we'll link this article. This black woman did a study. She wrote a book yep. about it. And she went deep into the history because it was a complete rebrand. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, damn, white women had an incredible rebrand. Because they talk about, like, how white women used to set up, um, like, breeding. Yes. All kinds yes. of things. You read it too, Thea? Mm-hmm. I read it too. And hmm. a friend of mine do, is doing research for... She does lactation and uh, consulting, and we're mm-hmm. all a part of like the Black Maternal Health um, fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she brought that book to my attention first, mm-hmm. and um, she was like, "You know, y'all, you have got to dig into this book." But it makes sense when so many of the laws. I wrote an article about it two years ago when Kellyanne Conway, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that so many of the laws were to protect the mistress yeah right so when you saw that why would you need that protection if you weren't the one out there you know Mm. actually inflicting the harm or actually committing the thing that would you would need to be protected from Mm -hmm. if you look at any picture in the civil rights movement any lynching they're right there you know with their kids and so um she was this article this research really really breaks it down and i think they need to redo that whole red table talk 
Oh, I never saw that. That was I about like the tension between black and white women and okay. look at look at this information because that's this is what's really happened. In fact, there was something written another friend of ours named Lakeisha Simmons. Um she's a professor and did an article about Beyonce's Lemonade and how the places that she chose to film were very strategic. And one of them was owned by a white woman who was breeding black women. Wow. And hmm. so that, I believe, is the space where you see Serena and Beyonce twerking. Ah. In the reclamation see. of the space, right? right? Mm. So, yeah. No, it's deep. No, it's real. Yeah, I've been thinking about it all week. Like, all week. Like, this is a, it's a, it's a true rebrand. It was a rebrand for sure. It's a and true rebrand. Like, that that we think, when I think slave owner, and I close my eyes. Absolutely. I think of, um, what's oh, that? Mean. The, Red, I see that. Red, I see that KFC. Red. Yeah, the KFC. <laughs> is like, what's his name? The, the Colonel, 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 Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders. That's what I see. Mom. see. I don't right. see. I don't see a white woman. I, yeah, I feel like yeah. I've always saw them. I feel like I've always seen them whispering to Colonel Sanders, like, "Get that one over there." I felt like mm-hmm. when I was reading yeah. it, I felt yeah. like I feel like Thea feels seen now when I read it. Oh yes, for sure. <laughs> I'm like, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. In no, fact, we can repost that Kellyanne Conway article because I mean. It's been evident, but the rebrand, like you were saying, it's been like, oh, no, we are also victims of the white man. And maybe Uh in some ways, Uh but you're also like right next to him in these pictures next to lynched bodies. They are are victims of patriarchy, but that's what I thought was interesting is that they gained power by subjugating black folks. Because patriarchy existed at the time still. And so when their their fathers wanted to empower them, they would leave them land. They would leave them mm-hmm. slaves. Like that to me was like, okay, this patriarchy existed. It's not that it doesn't exist for them, mm-hmm. but that it's on our backs. It's not that it doesn't exist for them, but here's the other piece to it. When I really talk to my white friends, even talk, you know, piggybacking on what we talked about last week, last time about the um, abortion right. conversation, right? right? There's, we're always caught up in white cultures, culture mm. war. They're mm-hmm. intra-culture yeah. war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a, there's a, there's a large chunk of them that feels they benefit through that patriarchy. Absolutely. And there's another mm-hmm. chunk of them who wants to be, be to a resist part it. of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so either way, the, they use black mm-hmm. bodies to do that, you know? And so I feel like, yes, and... Mm, you didn't like okay if they was out there doing that dirt why you got to be in the pictures spitting on black kids trying to go to school right you could have been home yeah I have, and if, if it was a patriarchy yeah. thing you would have had your ass at home but oh, you was in them definitely. streets so that's yeah. my question you know i'm gonna post the article i would like our we do have we do have some really dope white women listeners yeah for sure i want y'all to read it and hit us up Please. and tell us what you think but more than that like when you're organizing amongst one another, are you thinking you're organizing other white women? Or are you thinking you're organizing white men? Like when I when I see mm. white women organizing, I imagine that they're talking to their fathers and their uncles. But sometimes in conversations, I'm like, oh no, they are talking to their grandmothers. Mm-hmm. But are you talking to your peers? You you know what I, I see sometimes is you know, I think definitely the the kind of social construct of the innocent white woman mm-hmm. is very like prevalent. But 
this day, like contemporary times with a lot of um, white women who would imagine themselves to be engaging in allyship, that they maybe do not, or at least from what I've seen, don't understand the way that patriarchy functions in a lot of black communities. Mm -hmm. Because when we try to make patriarchy this overarching thing that affects everybody the same and don't really look at it as a social, political, and economic system, right? Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's just kind of like, oh, you know, sisters together in the fight against patriarchy, not understand that patriarchy completely has a different articulation actually yes. in many different ways and what I mean by that is that when a lot of mainstream I'll be clear a lot of mainstream white feminists think about patriarchy they think about the wage gap and yeah. we don't make the same amount of money but what does that mean you know in black communities where um, the conversation is not about men necessarily making more money right, right? it's not an it, no. it, it doesn't right. translate Often the black same women way aren't earning more yeah right. right but the patriarchy becomes a whole different kind of um, articulation well, always been the case though that's mm-hmm. been the issue with feminism mm-hmm. is that it's always been based on what they felt the mm-hmm. predominant issue should be right we when we tag along with their version of it we end up not getting our needs met and i think yeah. this is really interesting to know because we bring up patriarchy in terms of the white women but when we've had conversations about black men mm-hmm. we're like oh but the women raised them Mm. Right. So look at that. Look at how like when it's wait when wait it's, go say that again. So like when we going back to like some previous conversations we right, had about right. like even back to the R Kelly conversation right and about black women and mm-hmm. right. the the expectation that black women are responsible ultimately mm-hmm. right like right. even if we think about what the men are doing right, right. but a woman raised them mm-hmm. so it, you know but we don't but we feel don't that make, way about white women, white women mm-hmm. responsible right. for them. Mm-hmm. we don't feel like. You raised this dude mm-hmm. that just lynched my son. Because that's, so, but yeah. isn't that internalized? That's yeah. some deep stuff, right? Oh. Oh. But they did though. But they did, and so I'm not gonna sit here and be like, "Oh, white woman patriarchy," when like mm-hmm. young black girls are being adultif- adultified over right. R. Kelly, right. right? And yet, when we pull out percentages and receipts to show that your ass owned slaves, I'm not blaming your daddy for that. Right, right, not right. doing it. Right. Because you could have said, I'm not going to live this life. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to free these slaves. I mean, there were many. So, yeah. And we were all living under some form of something. So you have benefited. And now there's a book full of receipts to say what I was telling you two, two three years I mean, it's not that hard to draw the conclusion that like somebody can be victimized under one system and right. perpetuate an entire other system of Aww, oppression. And it, it can, it's two things happening at the same time. And, and it's also yeah. not hard to imagine for me. I'm going to say it. It's not hard for me to imagine that part of them understanding their power as women mm-hmm. was to let them think they were in control. Mm-hmm. If you look at like, um, just like even stories that take place in like, you know, I don't know. I, cause I don't care, but like ancient France or whatever, like <laughs> feudalism type shit. Right. There was always this like idea that you let him think he has power. Mm. Right. It's almost like Machiavellian, but for white oh, women. Oh, but you know, that's why I watched The Bachelor. Though, right? <laughs> I watched The Bachelor. This is know. exactly the reason I started I watching know. The Bachelor. I started I watching The Bachelor because white women are experts at a good ego stroke this to keep the power. Point. Like, like you going to think you got the power, but really I got the power. And it'll be like 20 women, 30 women, one bachelor, and each of them is like so in charge. You, and and who I'm did like, I this first, is incredible. You know, remember Queens of Comedy? The <laughs> yes. Queens of Comedy? Oh, I love was it. Was it, I think it was, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Samora Monique. It might have been Monique. Monique was like, a white woman will get into an argument with her man in the morning and be like, you know what? 
Yes. Let's just table this. That was Monique. Because you got to go to work. Yes. yes. And she's not trying to fuck up her money. Yes. Right? Yes. And so she'll be like, I want to keep what? your head in the game. Right. It was me. You know what? It's all good. Go to work, boo. Have a good day. My bad. Right. Make that money. And a black woman should be like, oh, you think this shit is over? <laughs> I'm coming to your job. I'm going to your job. So I think for me, like, it, it, but that was a great lesson for me in terms of right. in terms of what teaching about um, a certain kind of femininity. Yes. And we're gonna go into hmm. our next episode. We really gotta, we gotta dig go into this feminine. But okay. isn't that an interesting like um, interesting. plot twist? Because you know you're my film person. And every plot twist, isn't it always interesting when the person you think is the person with the power is not the person with the power. Right. Like, you ever saw the Stepford Wives? Ex- yes. But <laughs> yeah, that's close. what I got from this article. I said, oh, look at the plot twist. Look at the plot twist. This white woman has had power in ways that I didn't ever really consider. I mean, you just did the plot twist with, she gave birth to Colonel Sanders. She Colonel Sanders had a mama. And raised him. <laughs> we know what? that for sure. That's what? for sure. We but don't know her name. Right. But, even she, a, but even in yes, my mind, right. Colonel Sanders' mother, her face is a little bit mangled. You know, she's, you not, know, she's not beautiful. No, in my mind, that bitch is like, here's Fine what's about hell. to go down. <laughs> here's what, I, have, I do not, I am not food. I have never been food. I'll buy it. I'm like, bitch, you know what you're doing. But we do want to hear from you. you know, I would among, love We want to hear, hear from the, yes. our white women listeners. We had somebody write in about being an ally before. We just want to hear from you about this because, yeah, it's a good dialogue. I'm yeah. interested in what y'all think because did y'all know? I mean, that's why we discussed the difference between white feminism. And right. white feminism doesn't mean a white woman who is engaging in feminism. It means the, a feminism a that is void right. of any real analysis of what is going on with race and class and other aspects right. of identity, which we're going to get into today. And yes. I also think a lot about like Western mm-hmm. feminism mm-hmm. and just like a lot of the way in which so much of the way that we think about good, bad, right, wrong, right. Oh. whatever it may right. be is just centered on how we've been trained in the West yes. and how all yes. of that gets kind of dismantled when yes. you step outside of a very Western The either or bubble. versus the this and yeah. that. We talk about yep. that a lot. Yep. The either yep. or versus the this and that. Yep. Yeah. No, for real. No, no I'm going to I'm going to suggest that uh, folks buy the book and support this black woman. That's a great you know? suggestion. I mean, that's, I'm just going to throw that out there. We'll see. All we'll right. see what happens. Okay, your check-in. So my check-in is really kind of an announcement. Okay. Mm. But it also applies in a broader sense. So my big announcement is that I have finally decided to open myself up to doing one-on-one consults with people. Um, This has been something that's been requested for the past couple of years. And I I know I do a lot of work around decolonizing joy, decolonizing pleasure. Um, There's not a lot of black people talking about sex with us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, in that way. Yeah. I mean, and think, talking about sacred sexuality and mm-hmm. talking about... I mean, there, it exists, but, like, the decolonize, decolonizing piece of it, right, is, is usually absent. So, um, I think my hesitance was, and this is the part that I think is a lesson for us all, right, is that we're always waiting to be something bigger mm-hmm. or, like, that has a greater capacity, right? I'll do that when I have a greater capacity. I'll do that when I can, you know, have time for this or time for that. And... Um, I went to the, I think I talked about it, the Malik Tilly retreat. And when I came back, I just was very clear that I've always had the capacity. I just didn't, I just didn't um, allow myself to accept that I had the capacity. Sometimes it's scarier to accept how grand mm-hmm. and large your capacity is mm-hmm. um, than it is to just 
sort of pretend you have a less of a capacity than you actually do. Yeah. And so it, that retreat confirmed for me this interaction I had with some women there. We did a, a new moon ritual that like what I'm supposed to be offering people is myself, mm-hmm. right? And it's great to do other forms of interaction, but really, I really am supposed to spiritually offer people me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's some time. Let's you and I sit here and co-create. Everything I talk about is it comes down to interacting with people, you know? Mm-hmm. And so all of the fear about doing that, all of the fear, and mainly not fear about the people. I've always loved working with my clients. It's fear about my own capacity. Would mm-hmm. I get burnt out? Would I get tired? What would I do? And then it's like, well, you set the terms and the limits on what you're doing and how you want right. to create it and you name it and you self-define it, right? Like we're talking mm-hmm. about. And so um, IO consults will be available. IO means joy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so whatever's yes. going to name my baby. And this is the best part of that story. The, um, I was thinking of a name because, you know, Crystal, our friend Crystal, always says, you know, bitch, your name is really deep. Like, it'd be like, um, decolonizing stress amongst black people in the, and it's like, nobody, you know, is reading that shit. So she's like, just be like, um, tired as fuck. <laughs> and folks right. will sign up for that workshop, right? right? So I'm like, okay, how can I, you know, I'm trying so hard oh, not to be man. too deep. So I, I, I decided, I love Ayo. That word is always stayed with me. And then I was like, but how am I going to like include Oya in that? Like I have to include Oya in there somewhere. Like she's, she is this work. Mm. She is this transformational, creative, energetic work. And for me, I know in the West, the way people would depict Oya is very dark, but we've been talking so much about how dark Mm -hmm. is light. There is no separation between dark and light and dark is this powerful, creative energy. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, oh yeah, I can't, I'll figure it out in the morning. I'm done. All I got is Ayo right now. I'll figure it out in the morning. Mm-hmm. Morning, I woke up and the first thing I realized was that Ayo is Oya backwards. Aha. Mm-hmm. And it just, yeah. just felt like so right yeah. that the work that I want to do is to prove particularly to black body people that joy can be as transformational as we feel pain is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We think all transformation has to come through pain. Mm, stress, and struggle. Str- yes. mm-hmm. And like joy. Yeah. Well, yeah, is joy. Yes. And she is transformation. And so mm-hmm. to show us how we can transform through joy, because we got trauma. We get it. We get it. Yeah. Enough of that. Right. <laughs> We're going to still endure. But, but what we haven't exposed ourselves to is the transformational power of joy. Right. And just in this last like year and a half, two years of saying, no, I want to have a joy-centered life. I want my work to be joy-centered. I want this. Just watching the change. And Noni's been here mm-hmm. in my life in the last year and a half of doing that. Again, transformational. So I will have it on my website. I will have it set up. I'm really excited um, to, to meet you all, to meet anybody coming my way. If you feel somebody could use it, but I'm just open and like excited to meet everybody. And I just want us all to not continue to underestimate the capacity. It's fun to know that, right? That's Mm -hmm. like, you need to know, Mm -hmm. but, but do you need to know all the time? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes we underserve ourselves in that way. It's so powerful what you're saying. And I'm just hearing you because I think about, all of the times when joy is so underestimated, mm-hmm. dismissed as frivolous, mm-hmm. especially amidst the fire. It is a luxury amidst mm-hmm. the craziness of the mm-hmm. world. It then feels like it becomes almost this irresponsible mm-hmm. thing to be happy mm-hmm. amidst iniquity. Right. You know, right. and then and you almost don't want I and I and I've guilty. seen people, yes, yeah. feel guilty to the point where they will not 
um, publicly express their joy, their joy, mm-hmm. their pleasure, their happiness, mm-hmm. because they know of the struggle that other folks are feeling. Mm-hmm. So it almost feels like you're bragging or mm-hmm. you're being irresponsible mm-hmm. because you are not energetically tapped or sunk into right. the low frequency of the bad things that right. happen in the right. world. Whereas, of course, we do understand that you can observe all of the difficulty of the world yeah. without eating it. Right. Without right. consuming it, swallowing well, it. You know, that, that reminds me of when Puffy said that he had to put away his good jewelry during the recession. <laughs> during the recession, Puffy <laughs> said he had to put his good jewelry away because he didn't want to he didn't want to be out here with all the good jewelry right when other niggas was just walking around with with nothing well so he had to he brought out more like his like level down jewelry <laughs> and that's that's well, the jewelry he was wearing then okay. out of respect out of respect he was he was the environment he was, he was stifling his joy at that right. moment, he wanted to shine, right? Like only did he can. And, that, and maybe, maybe we <laughs> needed know? to see like, the shine right. more than the stifle. <laughs> I mean, maybe I, we was like, shine on, puffy, give us something to hope. I mean, on I to. love right. puff. Like I, I follow no, puff to see yeah. what, what, what. What would puff do? That's you, you know, know. We always that's big. That's big. What would Diddy do? 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 Because Diddy. Diddy's always living at that level of it's excellence. True. That's true. It's Diddy, like Diddy, nobody's going to stop me. You? Nobody's going to stop my shine. You know, I'm here. I'm at it. When he gets I'm the doing crazy it. eyes. Yes, that's yeah, right. That's but Diddy's right. also yeah. so happy. Very happy. You can you can see Diddy's enjoying all you, of the riches that's exactly of right. life. That don't look like that that's doesn't exactly look like right. miserable money. That's exactly right. It's not. It's like I got it. I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. This shit tastes good. Yeah. You know like Yes. Definitely, yes. that's Diddy yes. energy. You just make me realize, yes. yeah, rock, baby, yeah, yeah. yeah. We live in. I love it. We. I'm living. stepping into that this summer. Yeah. So, so, so I'm, I'm feeling you, Thea. What would Diddy do? That's what that's what Diddy I gotta. Do? Do. That's what I gotta say to you. What would Diddy? Diddy? Diddy would have been done it. Hundred percent. Diddy would have been done. And that is, you know, yes. We're just gonna leave it there. Yeah. I came back and I was like, yeah, you need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right our wonderful guest do you have something on your heart to share before we dive in um you know i i guess one thing that's on my heart is what i have experienced within the last few days so um i just got back from a conference that i attended um i was in london no flex i was in london i just got all back flex. no flex what would um you do? What would you do? <laughs> don't make me pull up your instagram <laughs> We're going to post her Instagram picture I'm about in to start London Instagram on our captions. Instagram. That's not what's going to happen. Let, so let her I, check in to you. So as my check-in is, is that I was at a conference. You need to refrain, cease, thing. and desist. Thea is literally on Instagram right now pulling up receipts. So I was at... This conference called the Africa Conference, and we were talking about all things Africa, um, socially, politically, economically, all of the things that could help to create what would be a more unified uh, Africa, mm-hmm. and not like a United States of Africa, not like a European Union where we try mm-hmm. to like kind of make pseudo models that mm-hmm. would fit. But you know, when they when we talk about like um, even just when we talk about the politics of race, oftentimes the conversation goes to like slavery happened, colonialism mm-hmm. happened, and in order to f- fix all of these things and make it so that black people can have access to all of the joy, pleasure, beauty, um, peace that they sh- they deserve, that we would need to engage in some type of unification to strengthen ourselves, and then we can fight against this machine that has historically and contemporarily causes us damage. Yes. The, the conference was about doing that work on the continent, 
Mm. and how that would lead to you know more work throughout the diaspora um the black diaspora and it for me really my check-in is about like how interesting it was for me to be in that room where um essentially I'm it well really just being in London and being amidst um, black people that were all there either because they're um, someone in their lineage or someone, one of their, um, not their descendants, but someone before them, one of their ancestors, ancestors moved there or one of their parents or grandparents moved there of their own free will um, or that they migrated there. Mm-hmm. And that it was that is just so interesting to me mm-hmm. when you are in a space where black people have all chosen to chosen. be here mm. um and mm. being in that space where it really we were really talking about the kind of like the strategy behind unity and not like the romantic mm-hmm. aspects of it you know not sensationalizing of it it, it was almost kind of sobering of mm. like what will this actually look take? like right. you know what i mean mm. versus just kind of like talking about it very like widely and theoretically it was very much like no that sounds nice how mm-hmm. And it was like, whoo, it was a sobering moment, but it was empowering because it makes it feel tangible, Tangible, distant, but tangible in a particular way. And the other thing on my heart is the fact that like I was thinking through my personal theater work while I was there. And whenever I um, talk to people that are not in the States about like my current play um, about black political identity, I always say, you know, you you probably can relate to some of the themes that are addressed, but it's very kind of like centering a conversation about what's happening with black people in the United States. And every single time somebody watches it that's not in the United States or is not from the United States or, or America, they're basically saying like, no, it's the same shit over here. Mm-hmm. You know, the language is a little bit different, but mm-hmm. the themes that are addressed in terms of like gender and how patriarchy forms, how we do that, economics, uh, religion, how we talk about mental health Mm -hmm. if we talk about it Mm -hmm. um all of these things and so just kind of on my heart is the lightness I guess I feel that the work that I want to do I'm grateful is translating beyond one Mm -hmm. demographic Mm -hmm. and I want it to be able to breathe and expand and to Mm -hmm. not just be for one group even though the story is engaging the experiences of one particular um, demographic yeah if that makes sense absolutely Mm -hmm. yes 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 flex sorry (laughs) I love it I have so much to say about that but I'm gonna tell Lola when we wrap (laughs) I got a lot I got a lot of African questions right now a lot to say I got African answers (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, I, but I do want to say Only Africans, born and raised here Africans will way. ground your ass You know a- Africans will be like Nice dream Okay <laughs> Really though Nice and dream that's the energy Yeah That was Because I mean The whole continent Was represented in that mm. space I said we got People from what? Everywhere Benin Ivory Coast Ethiopia Nigeria Ghana We all here South Africa And it was very much Kind of like mm, That's cute How you gonna do it Yeah Ooh, Why are you breaking yeah. my dreams Like yeah. this yeah. Yeah. It's good yeah. yeah, you need sometimes you need, you need that. a plan because we, we, we it's a hard mama. It's we, like a stop. Hello, but we stay here in the planning mode. Ooh, as organizers here, mm. we stay in that. Let's meet. Let's plan. Let's think. Mm-hmm. And I don't find that to be true across the diaspora all the time. Mm-hmm. It's let's walk. Mm-hmm. Let's plant. Let's yeah. do. Let's do. Yeah, you know. And I, I really, I really appreciate that. So. Our main topic, Thea, tell us about our main topic since you you the queen of this ship today. Oh. 
Awesome. You could always tell. She goes, no, you have like the heart stuff. And then I come in like, first of all, okay. So this topic came very organically. I did a post a couple, not a while ago, maybe like a month ago. Um, kind of like a research question about race, ethnicity, how people identify, mm. how people choose to identify, how we choose to identify and how that impacts um, anti-racism work. Yeah. And um, of course, being the beautiful spirit that she is, Humi Lola had this question and sat with it mm. for some time and then sent a beautiful voice memo. Five yes. minutes long. Which, yes. which was like... She good for one of them long ass like, voice memos. Long winded that's, that's that millennial shit. I'm <laughs> like, yes, bitch. Use all of the features. Basically <laughs> like, I... Could, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shrink myself to this Instagram post. So I'm going I'm to. I'm supposed to type. Yeah, she was, it was, and it was, and listening to it, there was no way. There was no way. You had to do what you did. And so I wake up to this beautiful voice memo, and then we exchanged a couple of voice memos. It was a beautiful conversation about the the role of race, the role of ethnicity, like how does it impact us socio politically. But then our bigger question was, how does it impact our joy? Mm. How does me having to choose a social identity based on a political system impact or take away from my joy? How does it shrink all the parts of who I am, right? All three of us here have some bicultural identity. Mm. And so thinking about that, I don't know if I shared the story here, but I, I shared it with uh, Fumi Lola. It was like about the one time when I was doing a school project and we were all talking about our parents and where, we, where they came from. And I mentioned that my dad was from Panama, and this kid was very quick to be like, but you're black. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I mean, yeah, but you're black. You know you're black. And I was like, I never said I wasn't black. I just said my dad was from Panama. Because little do we know, black people are in Panama and other kind of places too, right? So, But the shaming of that, I never really talked about being from Panama. I remember you knew, and you brought up to me like, hey, I have a friend that's from Panama, and I almost didn't feel like I had the right to even connect with that person because mm-hmm. like, I had shut that down mm-hmm. so strongly based on that reaction because I didn't want people to think I didn't think I was black. But then that goes to if sociopolitically we've had to identify as black to unify and to fight this machine, right? Have we then erased for each other the opportunity to exhibit these other aspects of what black looks like around the world for those of us who are bicultural do we feel like we have to conform to this black identity which i hear a lot from people mm. who are not from the united states and identify as black right is that this is the this is the type of black that exists black right. american black right if you're yeah. not black american black then you're not black mm. or you feel like the pressure to conform to this black yeah and we can talk about that in because we're both, you know, we have both identities here. So I just thought that would be like a really interesting conversation about like how I lost out years. I just went to Panama last year because I I had I felt like I had to shut it down hmm. to fit in socially hmm. and to have a voice politically. Hmm. Um, and so this beautiful country, this beautiful identity, I did not explore. I just left my, for my dad and his uh, his wife and his wife's mom. And, you know, they're like, when are you coming back? They were so, like, excited. So we're making plans to get my kids' passports and go back. Because I don't want them to do what I did, right. you know? But this is real. Like, how we self, how we choose to self-identify. I think I see this with sexuality. I have students that come in feeling pressured to choose LGBTQIA or plus whichever. Like, maybe they don't know. Yeah. Right. Maybe right. they're still exploring. Right. Maybe right. So, but politically, because that's an oppressed group, 
Mm-hmm. They there's a need to identify in order to push back, mm-hmm. but also sometimes within the groups ourselves, there's a need to identify in order to belong. Yes, and yeah. urgency to figure out what team you're on. Well, I have a question, mm. and I'll answer last. Well, how do you each identify? How do you identify? What's your when people ask mm-hmm. you what you are? If we we're talking about self identity, yeah, culturally, I'd say um, Nigerian American. Um, I was very. I was born and raised in America. Raised, uh, raised in a Nigerian house mm-hmm. in America amidst Nigerian culture. Um, I can just put it on for you right now, but I will just keep it away for for the time being. But um, <laughs> yeah, culturally Nigerian American, but uh, politically um, I'm black racially, right? And so like, and I and I had distinguished between that and Thea and I were starting to have this conversation. Well, no, we said distinct- no, you were gonna make us wait for the podcast. So then we brought it. Oh, back. that's right. That's why we <laughs> stopped. Right? I was like, I was like, I'm just not gonna mention anything until we, until we get here. Now yeah. that we're here, no. But like, I distinguish between the way in which I am. Um, the way in which I identify um, in a society that has racialized me as black, knowing yes. that that is not real, like knowing mm-hmm. that we that it has been made real historically, and that in a process of reclamation, black people have turned blackness into something mm-hmm. that is substantial culturally mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. beautiful and gorgeous, mm-hmm. um, but also knowing in a very real way that that there was n- never any natural biological linkage to it being real. So I distinguish that so I don't have to I I don't want to be enslaved by Mm -hmm. the identity right Mm -hmm. it's like that somebody else created that I have now received and validated Mm -hmm. so I guess I'm uh, giving a long-winded response to the answer yeah but my answer would be that like culturally I'm Nigerian I'm also I mean all of these boundaries can all be kind of um, deconstructed because of the process of way in which mm-hmm. the nation state has been formed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Nigeria also is a construct for, you know, mm-hmm. in term, think, thinking in terms of what colonialism did. But, but nonetheless, if we're still dealing with what we have here, I am Nigerian American. Mm-hmm. Black would be my racial political identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that anywhere I go, I would identify myself as black. Mm-hmm. Even though in Nigeria, I no longer become black because everybody is my skin tone. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to be black then? Mm-hmm. So that, that yeah. would be my question. Like how, when you, were, when you were coming up, like did you visit Nigeria? And when you were here, did you have to assimilate? Did you assimilate into just a black identity where... Friends didn't know you were a Nigerian, or when you're in Nigeria, do they know that you're American? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. So, um, with my even like within my family, I think that I that for a lot of Africans, I'll speak specifically to West Africans. It's just kind of like you're not black. You're you're Nigerian. Mm-hmm. You're Yoruba. You're Igbo. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you're not black? Right? Because mm-hmm. black is designated for black Americans. Mm-hmm. Now I think black people throughout the diaspora are starting to understand like blackness as, as an identity, political, term. Mm-hmm. political mm-hmm. term more specifically. But it wasn't so when I was kind of growing up. Mm-hmm. But I knew that like my experience was linked with my black friends and mm-hmm. my black homegirls. Mm-hmm. And we felt linked in a particular way. Um, But I would say that, for instance, um, in like my family community, there has been historically like some pushback around like, you're not black, you're Nigerian. But then when I kind of grew up a bit and a bit and went to college, I was getting identified as kind of like the African girl Mm -hmm. amidst the black girl Mm -hmm. pool that I rolled with. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just kind of like, oh, you African. And there was still like a 
a kind of distinguishing me as something Other. different mm-hmm. and an othering, but it didn't feel malicious. It mm-hmm. kind of felt like, hmm, that's mm-hmm. different, mm-hmm. you know, um, even though I was raised here, right? Mm-hmm. But like my name Culture, and yeah. like the type, just culturally, yeah, some things home, about yeah. me that that is just kind of like, I guess I wear some of Nigeria on me in a particular mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've never chosen between the two. I've felt a struggle between the two identities, mm-hmm. but there has never been anything in me that could ever choose between the two. Like right. my one of my close friends calls me a Nigerian Black American mm-hmm. because I'm so deeply invested mm-hmm. in um, Black. American people, if we're mm-hmm. using that term, um, being able to have full access to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. and health, wellness. Mm-hmm. I'm also fully invested in that for people on the continent, yeah. you know, and throughout the diaspora. Right. So I don't think we have to choose. It's strange that we would have to choose. It is simply a bicultural identity. Right. You know. And I think, so, same, politically, mm-hmm. social politically mm-hmm. black, mm-hmm. right? I'm... Up until like last year, literally, that would have been it. Only thinking about my social political identity. Um, it wasn't until I started practicing Ifa and my ancestors started coming up that I even felt the need to connect to the Panamanian experience, the Afro-Panamanian experience. Mm-hmm. And so whereas, you know, you said when you go there, you're just black and you just kind of merge in mm-hmm. in Panama there's still colorism, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. there's still, um, though, there's not racism, mm-hmm. which it does, yes. you feel some relief. You're like, yes. okay, everybody, oh, everybody right. walking around here is brown of some sort, right? right? Like, so we, we different degrees of it, mm-hmm. but it does feel good to look around and be like, yes, mm-hmm. a country of color, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, but they're still there fighting for... Um, the the African part of their identity to be valued. Yeah. Which, you know, it's hard to say that could come from the Spanish colonization. That could also come from the American influence when they came over to work on the canal. But either way, like you still have the, the black communities are more poor or being gentrified, or you just have this fight to integrate the Afro-Antillian identity and uh, contributions into the mainstream teaching of what Panama is. Like, when you're there, you're like, there's no way this country is this way without black folks, mm-hmm. without African influence, without yeah. Caribbean influence, right? Mm-hmm. Literally, down to your food, like mm-hmm. down to your, like their dances, everything. It's so here. It's not like another, Central America is different in that way in general than like South America or, or, or Mexico where you have like, in Central America, black people are mixed in. There's not like, there, there may be more black areas, but it's very mixed in. Whereas if you go to like Peru, they're, you're like, where do black people go? La Carmen. Right. <laughs> where, when you go to Mexico, Veracruz. Right. Like, like there's a specific mm-hmm. corner of the world. Yeah. Chica, right. Yeah. And you really don't see them. In Central America, it's very blended in. It's like no way you can deny our presence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a separated out culture. So I think for me, it's become important coming back to claim the Panamanian piece because now I'm very passionate about black people in America knowing that there are many ways to be and exist as black people. Yes. And that's the more, for me, that helped my black American part. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize so much of my childhood, I was raised amongst Panamanian culture. Panamanian, Afro-Panamanian culture seems very Caribbean. My family came in through Barbados. So 
it's you know mm-hmm. you know a lot of Bob Mar- a lot of reggae a lot of you know it's very similar so I really more so thought about that when I thought about my family until they would speak Spanish and then you'd be like okay there's something something else, something else going on <laughs> and so you got this black Caribbean accent going on with this Spanish and it's just a very interesting thing that's what it was for me up until about oh, remember I keep asking you you don't identify as Latina I mean, no you always do that but you know what's funny people have always always asked me where I'm from in terms of they thought I had an accent. When I was younger and I was around those cousins and those family members, I did have more of their accent. And then by the time I got to like grade school, you know, they started to work that shit on out. And so um, <laughs> it, it's just very interesting thinking back now that that really was a big part of my life at some point. And then it, and then it just stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think about like, this is why like, there it's, why do we I fucking get upset? Because these are the kind of choices black people have to think about that yes. other people don't have to think about sometimes. Yeah. And this is why I say no one's comparing struggles, but we have to look at the complexity of the struggle of still being in a country with your oppressor. Like, and the difference between what happens when you're from a country where, yes, maybe you were a part of the slave trade or colonized, but they left. And so there's some aspect of your culture that's preserved. There's a way to see people that look like you and there's still white influence, right? But... I don't know, there's just different degrees of it. And I think we need to see that more, particularly in black America, because we don't get to travel outside as much and see it. Yeah, I mean, I think about Afro-Latino, Afro-Latina identity, I think what I'm trying to say is that I empathize Mm. with the struggle to have to choose. I don't know how to put my finger on what it is that I feel is different Mm -hmm. about like being first gen African American, Mm -hmm. Nigerian American, Ghanaian American. Um, I feel like that there, at least for me and my experience, and maybe this is actually because I was around so many this is actually different. You're making me making me think about the fact that I was not questioned like, oh, you don't think you black? Right. Um, because I was around a lot of white kids growing up. Mm. Um, because I was going to predominantly white schools up until I really was in college. I didn't have trouble integrating into like this now predominantly black and brown environment mm-hmm. once I got to college. Mm-hmm. Um, one might think I would have because I had been raised around so many white kids, but like I had my black friends or whatever, but it was no real question around like, oh, you know, you Nigerian, but you still black for some reason. Yeah, that didn't that is show up. Um, um, yeah, so I identify as bicultural for sure. Mm-hmm. I was raised um, by my father's from Cameroon, so my father. And my mother met in France, and they immigrated here mm-hmm. to the States where I was born, um, yeah, in L.A., mm-hmm. and they had just settled here. Like, my dad, my mother was a part of my dad's immigration story here, so I definitely have um, an identity of a first-generation born here. Like, mm-hmm. I have the identity of someone who has a parent that English wasn't their first language, mm-hmm. that... Um, was trying to become a citizen, that had to work to become a citizen, that was sending money back home. I've always really related to Latinos here in L.A. Mm. I've always been around lots of Latinos, Latinx community, because the immigrant experience feels very familiar to me. And then my mother was born and raised in the South and came to California when she was in high school. So I have a very Southern identity, too. So for me... I've always felt really both, like 
an extreme amount of both things happening, even though I was primarily raised with my mother's family, my culture of going to visit my father, even even the ideas that I would have to visit my dad and how those visitations took place Mm -hmm. was the idea that the father owns the children. So I'm not going to go pick you up. (laughs) I'm not going to pick you up. You bring my child to me. I'm not going to pay child support. (laughs) If my child wants... I because you understand too familiar. Too if you want child, I'm triggered. <laughs> I'm if you triggered. want child support, then you have her come live here where I will support the child mm, because she's I'm mine. Triggered. She belongs to me. You I'm know, triggered. these kind of concepts, wow. we didn't have the same, I don't have the same um, kind of black father story. I used to dream about a, like a real black dad. A regular like, black dad. I used to... <laughs> Oh, I used to want a regular, and I was so blessed to have like just uncles that were just just niggas, like just just real ass. My mom's brothers are some real ass niggas. There you go. I'm so grateful. Shout out to all my uncles because they to to this day they will just take anybody out for me, and they just taught me so much about just being being finding a real nigga, like you know all of that. That's probably really like how I got to where I am today in my in my marriage, but. I would pray mm-hmm. for a, a dad that didn't have an accent and didn't wear those shoes with those socks, them dress shoes with strange ass dad. Yo, why strange dad got to come to the assembly and they got to the strange with the strange colognes and the strange you smell different. Noni, I don't understand. Why did they not call your name? It's not Lamar. <laughs> so I changed my name. That's mm. how my bicultural identity worked. When I was seven, I remember looking at my library card and I said, you know what? I don't live with him. Right. I'm going to change my name. I'm tired of everybody fucking up my name all the time. This is probably mm-hmm. my exact thought. I'm tired of people fucking up my name. Dang-o. I'm tired of this weird name that, that, doesn't, that doesn't feel familiar. right to me. My my middle name mm. even my middle name is Eugenie. Like no, and this this French shit. I didn't want this French shit on my shit anymore. So yeah. I just just slowly just wrote Noni Lamar on my library card. I loved the way it looked. I said that's my new name. And I remember my grandparents came for the one time to the states, and they came. And you know, I was definitely an African child, so I was winning all the awards like a good West African daughter, right? So they came yeah. to see me win my awards, yeah. and they said, "Noni Lima." Oh, yay! Noni who? Noni what? No. Noni come again? Where is the guet? Where is Kini? Where is the guet? Where is the guet on the end? Guet. Who? Who? Noni. Noni. <laughs> oh, the embarrassment, the anger, the, anger. the, the rage. It I can only imagine. The rage, the student of the month oh that my. created this, this rage, you know? And, you know, like that, that for me, like, but, but I talk about this often. Like, I was raised by someone who had a colonized mind. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And I was raised by someone who was the daughter of enslaved minds, mm. right? And so mm. I always say the colonized is mind is, is much more dangerous. This is something. Because is something. you Wait believe. Wait a minute. I need to hear this. This piece. is something. Because my grandfather came here from Cameroon, you know, came here from Cameroon to, to visit and would not have a meal without a baguette. Mm. I mean, screaming. Like, in French, to, to my stepmother, go get me a baguette. 
I cannot, I cannot eat without one. Mm. And I was like, his, you, without the bread of your oppressor. I'm like, what do you, <laughs> you what do you, you mean without, without, your, without your, oppressor's, your oppressor's muffin? <laughs> Why do you need a baguette? Why are we so in, in, engulfed in this culture, this mm. French culture of, 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 of their food you know, and their language and their, and their ways of, of thinking of what's proper and what's, what's right, you know? And, and this, this ideal place of France, this ideal French education that you had, that you're so proud that you went to a French boarding school. I mean, to, to understand, you know, it took me a while to grow up here in the States and to become, you know, a young adult and to see that a large amount of West Africans that are here, they're privileged. Mm-hmm. They're privileged folks. They're folks that had the money, yeah. mm-hmm. that had the education to be here. Yeah. And to understand that my dad came from privilege. He wasn't, mm-hmm. he, my mother did not come from privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mother mm-hmm. did not, my mother's people did not come from privilege. Yeah. They did not mm-hmm. come from, from boarding schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They You're, didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So when my parents met, my father was in boarding school or my father was in, in college in France. Mm-hmm. That that came from boarding school, and then his his family sent him to France to go to school. Okay. Okay. So he was in France going to school. My mom was at Howard on a scholarship, right. Right. trying to perform, being a theater major, going you know going on tour, just trying. To, she was hustling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are distinguishing. Like you know? what you saying? Please, I don't want to cut yeah, you off. Yeah, no, no, no. You're not. You mm-hmm. you're not. I just kind of wanted to say like. This this kind of identity and and, and even the, another identity that people tease me. I was raised with a white stepfather for okay. most of my life. You know, from the time I was seven, so mm-hmm. I was raised in an Italian home. Mm-hmm. So these kind of identities that mm-hmm. all exist and kind of figuring out how to self define. People asking me, "What are you?" Right. All, my whole life, people have asked me, "Where are you from?" What What are you? Because right. you can't tell. That's right. I don't like you said. You you wear a little bit of Nigeria, Nigeria on you. Yeah. You know, my Cameroonian family looks at me like, you're not Cameroonian. Yeah, mm. yep. And I don't think you're going to have that experience, right? Mm. My Cameroonian family says, you are not Cameroonian. You don't know Basa. You've never been to Cameroon. Mm. You don't know your culture. You, you can, what, fry up some plantain? Like, cool, but, like, you don't know how to be a Cameroonian. Mm. You don't know mm. how to not ask. I remember my uncle said, mm. you don't know how to not ask questions. Mm. You don't know how I to just, just put my be hand quiet. on my head in an African demeanor. <laughs> no, when I was you don't, that's it. Like, you don't like know. there's a training. That's not even a training. You, like, you don't know. You he are says, not performing no. proper African girl. Yeah, you And not. I definitely got that from and, my community. And, as well. like, and it's like that American fight. girl. Yeah. Uh, this this American is a fight. Something. The fight. So yeah. I know how to be an African daughter in that. I know to make my dad's plate. I know to bring my dad's plate. I know how to talk to him. I know how not to talk to him. I know how to respect him Mm -hmm. because this is what was demanded of me if I don't want my ass kicked, right? Right. So, but when his friends come in the room and they say, where's my plate? And I'm like, ask your wife. (laughs) Period. (laughs) And they look at you like, like, "Eh? what is wrong with your daughter? (laughs) What kind of rotten somebody did you create? (laughs) I'd be a Come and get this somebody out of my face. No, but yeah, it's, it's, I have to like backtrack because you said something. You distinguish between the colonized, the descendants of the mm-hmm. colonized mind and the descent. And I'm not going to say the descendants of the colonized mind, but I'll just say the colonized mind and the enslaved mind, mm-hmm. right? Or the descendant of somebody who has been colonized, a people that have been colonized versus the people that have been enslaved. You, like, I think that 
One thing with colonialism, you still have like masses of African people running around, and I'm not trying to make overgeneralizations, that, but that don't really understand the iniquity and violence of what colonialism was because there's still some level of like they offered something to yeah, us. Yeah, they were told, they, they were they presented as saviors. Presented we as saviors. You. We helped. We hooked you up. Right, you know, given this beautiful new religious mm-hmm. tradition mm-hmm. and you know like maybe we have are, education we have, we educa- have jesus and we have education we have jesus now <laughs> now lord jesus my mom ain't gonna listen to this podcast <laughs> um and so <laughs> we don't we don't enter that territory as a matter of fact Ooh, none of my family members are allowed to listen to this cut off. Boop, boop. Really cut and so but yeah you know to distinguish between that and then, but but then, so that's the the mind, right? It's like your the but the the person that is the descendant of somebody that has been enslaved. There is an understanding across the board, like this was damaging, right? This was hurtful, right? This is something to resist what the ramifications of it right. were, right? Whereas, like, it's not like the the colonial mind. It can be so more deeply ingrained because there's yeah. still a part of it that was like. Maybe it wasn't that bad. Like, even though we don't have autonomy over it's, our space. It's almost like the enslavement, they're, they're still in it. Like, I was thinking about this. I was like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot mm-hmm. of, yep. of African Americans yeah. mm-hmm. or black Americans who are descendants of the slave trade mm-hmm. who are like very much like the ones who are like seeking to be in proximity to whiteness are doing so by default. Like, we here. Mm-hmm. We got to make well. the best of this shit. This mm-hmm. is how it's done here. You know, it's not that they think it's, Better. Greater or better, they think it's the it's the best path here to get them what they want, right? But it's by default. And I thought about this. I, I can't remember what documentary I was watching, but I was like, oh, that's that's where we were when they were like still really actively brainwashing us. I mean, there's mm-hmm. still some. There definitely is a constant machine going that you know black is not as great, but we're aware of the machine. Yeah, we're aware of the machine. We know the machine exists. We know that it's coming. We're not always catching every single dart that it's throwing our way but we're aware of the existence of the machine yeah and when listening to you all talk about it it's like a lack of awareness about the the machine itself like like some people are still in love with this machine it's almost like um what do you call it stockholm yeah yes. yep yep yep, yep. It's very like stockholm. For sure. yeah for and, sure and, and when you said that part about like them not saying you're cameroonian when i went to panama and i think there's a unique experience in panama panama comes up in a lot of shit i noticed when i anything dealing mm. with africa the slave trade and mm-hmm. the Americas, Panama is always in the mix. It was mm-hmm. because of that canal. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that struck me was I went there and I was kind of shy to claim the identity. I was like, I don't speak Spanish. Like, I've never been here. Instantly, it was like, your dad's Panamanian. You're Panamanian. Let's go get your cedula. Bring your birth certificate. Yeah. You're going to get their passport. Right. Like It was like, we want you to have it. But also what I learned when I was there was that they, because... You know, they were being dealt with by the Americans a certain kind of way. That's a whole other story. And because of uh, the, the Spanish influence, they were looking at black Americans in America and mimicking that civil rights movement. Hmm. So my dad remembers being in there listening on radios to what was going on here during our movements um, in America and forming their own like Black Panther group, mm-hmm. you know, in Pedro Miguel in Panama yeah. City. To because they were basically living in Jim Crow. When right. they got there, there was a Jim Crow system already in place when they came over from Barbados. Right. So there, it's like black Americans like aren't looked down upon. Yeah. They're like, no, they created a pathway for change, and they helped us understand that we're black. 
Yes, it's inspirational. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's yeah. why they're it's fighting so hard even now to like get things that's in the books. I, I wanted books. to say, like, you know, traveling to South Africa, it was so healthy because they had a similar system. They had a similar yeah. um, apartheid was so mm-hmm. similar to Jim Crow. They were just decades mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. Um, that they were freed of that. So it, it's very much. South Africans are the only folks that feel like they get the black American experience. Right. Like they get it in their bones. Yeah. They're still living with their oppressor. Their oppressor still controlling in many ways their economy. And black people are still subjugated economically. We have lots of South African listeners. Mm-hmm. What's up? What would it do? Um, but <laughs> that experience there was so healing because it I did feel welcome. Validated. I yeah. felt like mm-hmm. welcome home. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your land. These are your people. Mm-hmm. We love you here. Mm-hmm. But not only that, they, they understood our struggle. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand enslavement, though. Mm-hmm. That was something that I had to really, I remember yeah. showing a good friend the scars on the back. You know, one of the really famous yeah. pictures mm-hmm. and like showing it to her and her finally being like, ah, mm-hmm. like, ah, trauma. Like, I didn't. Get. Yes. I thought it wasn't that bad, right? That's, no, that's I don't. Piece I right don't there. think that it was that bad. You know, that's Most, the piece. But a lot of Africans, and we don't should get know. over it, and we should just get over it. And that's the piece about like, if you just like trauma. So like, and and I'm still working on like working through my thoughts about this. So bear with me, but like the colonial mind is strong. The enslaved mind knows that it's been enslaved and it's resisting against it. Whereas maybe the colonial mind almost receives some part of the process of colonialism. Mm-hmm. But like when we talk about trauma, like the depths of like, for instance, I feel like um, because of the transatlantic slave trade, if we're talking about U.S. Black American people, like the level of trauma that mm-hmm. has been intergenerational trauma becomes a whole different conversation Um considering what like colonized people have had to go through it's a trauma but it's not it's a different type of trauma it's just like yeah we've been we've been um how you can say disengaged or kind of separated from what our origins are from what we our true indigenous identity and practices are and that is a type of trauma but there's a different level of course when you have slavery to being bred and the other thing specific to the u.s um, brand mm-hmm. of slavery is right. Brazil actually took in mm-hmm. like imported the most slaves mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. but the US took in the least but ended up with one of the largest populations because right. they began the breeding process which right. meant that you literally were born to be enslaved yeah right like over and over and over again and so we're and I call it like instead of this fresh ashe coming over mm-hmm. right from newer people coming keeping traditions alive keeping resistance alive it was being literally bred out strategically and it's just like we're talking about with this book right mm. it should not be a shock to us that 40% of white women <laughs> or slave owners are white women mm-hmm. it is because of how little we investigate and 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 validate the history of what happened here and so because of that of course our brothers and sisters in the diaspora do not understand i do find like people in the caribbean are empathetic (laughs) and and a lot of them tell me like when they come here that's when they're like oh i'm black yeah i didn't know i was black until i came here and that's what happens yeah nigeria too west Mm -hmm. africa whatever they'll come and they'll be like 
okay, I understand this is now what it means because it didn't now. really mean anything right there. As a side note, I want to say about the empathy part uh, around kind of like not being received by your folks. Mm. Um, and it's like, oh, you American girl or whatever it may be and like what you experience. Um, I will say that like... Um, as a side note, like my family, for instance, like I used to get that a lot. Like, oh, you're just an American. Please, you don't know anything about this Nigerian life. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I started, like until they saw that I was I was actively invested mm-hmm. in Nigeria that they could no longer make fun of me for like not being born there, not knowing Yoruba, like not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, so. But I'll yeah. say too, so being... Like the part of me, you know, that's a black American that has that specific experience. But even through my dad, like both sides of my family came through that slave trade. Mm -hmm. So with that, I felt like it was a long time for me to claim my African ancestry because I felt like I would get that, what you just talked about, for sure. Because Mm -hmm. I don't even know what country. Mm -hmm. So if I tried to claim or just learn from or just be just like pour into myself any form of like African spirituality, African identity... To counter the white identity that I'm kind of being forced to, it was like, you know, you can't engage that and you can't mm. claim that and you can't, you you know, it was, it was, it, even to say it I practice Ifa, right, was like, yeah. you know, I don't want to be disrespectful to a culture that's not mine, but it took actually understanding ancestry. Like, it took really understanding, like, I don't need to know. They know who I am. If they're leading me to this, it's mine to practice. Now, maybe I don't do everything like other people would do, and maybe I've done everything. Not my fault. Not going to take responsibility for that. What I'm going to do is practice it as honorably as I can with what I know and the ancestral wisdom that is being given to me through my That's ancestors right. now. That's right. But that took so long to claim. But, but yes. I want to say, nothing burns me up right now than folks of our generation that really shame African Americans, yeah. Black Americans. Right. Like, shame us. Like, you shouldn't wear that. You don't know what you're wearing. It's you don't know so what you're singing. Wild. You don't know what you're practicing. Like nothing makes me feel more angry. I was really, really blessed to have a mother that was so interested in being beyond whatever she was. Like my mother was always like dripped out in all kinds of just patterns, cloths from all over the world. Like she was always so and she really pushed me continuing to this day she's like you should you should sing your songs in basa Mm -hmm. go sit with your dad and have him translate i think that would be a really great thing for your record like she really pushes me to just embrace it all and my uncles would be like dang you you care more about this shit than (laughs) than no for real like you're so you have so many questions like when I started researching the Basa and seeing that the Basa came from Abyssinia, they came from Ethiopia, they mm. they traveled down, that my ancestors came, were, were from ancient Kemet, like l- literally can be traced back to ancient Kemet. Like mm. those things of being drawn to ancient Kemet when I was three and four years old, like opening these books, deciding my name was Hatshepsut, like I must be mm. Hatshepsut. Mm. I don't know how I got in this body, but I'm Hatshepsut. <laughs> like <laughs> this is me, you know. But when I started to research and, and really, and, and so, so thankful, because before everything was in French. Mm. You know, Cameroon is split in two. And Cameroon was, it was uh, colonized by the German, the French, and the English. Mm, right? But, but part of it is very Stressful. English. And Good part of God. it, Stressful. a small part of it is, is very um, English still. And a, a big part of it is French. French. 
So when I was coming up and the internet was new, I was always trying to read some shit I didn't understand. Right. Right. And I took two years of French and I couldn't, couldn't read anything. I took two years of French so I could know myself always in this search, right? Like feeling like I was like some like biracial girl, like, who am I? Yeah. I'm trapped between two cultures. Right. You know, I, I relate, no no shade. No shade to my, my biracial folks, right? <laughs> but like, that's how I felt all yeah. the time. And, yes. and, and people, but my black mm. American friends didn't understand yeah. that feeling of yes. like, I really don't know, like, I really don't know where I'm from. Like, I really don't get it. I don't understand it. But when when the internet started having, like, translations, mm-hmm. and in these last maybe three years, I've been able to to really find my home. Mm-hmm. Like, like, oh, I'm not just Cameroonian. Like, I'm Basa. And, like, the Basa came from this place, and they're also in Liberia, and they're also over here, and this is what their journey was. And and they've always been revolutionaries. And like right. to really know, you know, we're, I'm going to bring it back to joy. Like right. that's yeah. where I have found my joy. Like that's where I have found my my place of like feeling comfortable. Like all the things that I'm naturally drawn to are because this is my culture. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and I get offended when people say, oh, you know, because you're Cameroonian. That, that are not Cameroonian, right? They're black Americans who say, well, you know who you are. You're Cameroonian. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. Hold up. Right. No, no, no. Right. No, my grandmother was raised on a plantation. Period. She was she was picking cotton. And right, and you're more complex my, than your dad's lineage. Yes. Which, my, let's well, let's right. not bury my other ancestors. Yeah. Absolutely. Who who raised me and but it's struggled? Like, oh, close and, enough. You got something. Like you got you know who you are. No, I have a whole nother origin story that that begins right. and ends in Louisiana, and it and should not. I, or it begins I mean, and ends, and that goes back to what. The, my original art, what we kind of were talking about. Mm-hmm. This was when we went back and forth on a voice memo. It was like this: Does all of this labeling cost us joy? Yes. At the end of the day, right? Yes. Because here's I my believe, thing: yes. like, yes. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, my thing is like, even saying like, you know, Black Americans fear of engaging things African for being like told you're not African, right? Mm-hmm. Or or Africans being told by Black Americans you're not Black enough. Like all this stuff that's still. White supremacy, right? At the Mm -hmm. end of the day. And so what if it were just like, you have amazing gifts. Teach me what you know about who you are, about your culture, about where you live. What if it was more of an exchange as opposed to this ownership that we have really grown to, like, just accept and let infiltrate and take away our joy? Because there's so much I want to learn from all kinds of different black folks, Latino folks, all kinds of folks. But the labels, Mm -hmm. the labels make it so hard to trans, Mm -hmm. you know, to exchange these ideas. And like, I also want to be known as a creative person, like this is brilliant creative person. I also want to be learned as a fire sign. I want to link up with my Leos. I want to, like, there's so many other identities that I want to explore that I feel like sometimes limited to. And what's interesting, though, I will say, is when I got over that hump and I was like, fuck it, my ancestors, I was going to say, for those who can't know their origin story, for whatever reason, because there are those of us who, there are many reasons we're cut off from our roots, right? And we don't know our origin story. You can contact your ancestors. Mm-hmm. As simple as lighting a candle, putting out some water, mm-hmm. and putting out some flowers. Mm-hmm. And that's the only permission you need to act. It's already in you. And that's how I had to find my journey. Because I didn't have, I, don't, I still don't know where in Africa we came from. But I know that like when I felt like something feels familiar, hmm. then I just started to move with the familiar in me and trust that my ancestors 
Because, you know, ancestors of this, of this life. But if we get deep with it from another life, you might have been from another country with a whole other set of ancestors. Right? Okay. Like, if we go, if we go, if we go, like, we go so hard on who we are in this life. That's right. Not thinking about who we may have been in other lives and what ancestors. So, technically, you might have been a lot of things, you know. But just, I want people to know, even if you can't trace it, one they know you. This is what this is what they told me. They said, you don't know us, but you may not know us by name, but we know your name. That's right. We know your name. And that was such a powerful transformational moment for me. It just made me feel wanted and accepted and like belonged to somebody. Yeah. Right. I couldn't name them all. I don't know where they're from. But from that moment I began the relationship again. And yeah. then it's led me to practice African spirituality, which I will point blank say any day of the week mm. has been completely more liberating than anything else I've ever practiced in the sense of the all. Right. Right? This exchange of the this or, the either or for the this and that, just that alone, just the understanding of nature, just the inclusion of nature. Just like take all the other shit off the table. If you just brought that there, it'll bring you back home. It'll bring you to a center, you know? And I've never felt more valued by a practice then when I did my one hand with my baba, I caught Noni and I was like, if all, if every black American did this, they couldn't stop us. If they felt this centered, mm. this important, mm. this loved, this invested in, in terms of their destiny. Now, again, that I have a very wonderful baba. Not everybody has great experiences. But for me, I, it was very clear to me that if people knew their significance in this way, if it mm-hmm. was highlighted and mm-hmm. celebrated communally in this way, Oh shit would be but, very very different. But, but let's yes. let's highlight what you said because I've been post identity for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't. I don't. I rarely even name what my identities are. Mm. What you said is you felt invested in. You felt loved. Mm-hmm. This all everything that you felt in those moments had nothing to do with your appearance. Right. It had nothing to right. do with your phenotype. It had nothing to do with right. you being light skin or dark skin or your hair right. texture or any of that shit, man. Like it, it was pure spirit. It was pure spirit. It was your destiny. Yeah. What are you here to do? Right. How can we support that? You know, what, how can we bring you, bring you more gifts, yeah. more yeah. blessings? Yeah. How can your life be filled with, with more blessings? Yeah. And to me, that's where I mean I find a lot of joy in being black. Like yes, a lot, a of, lot of joy in Come being on. black. Hope I find homecoming. Come on, <laughs> I find a lot, a lot of joy in being joy. black. Yeah. I find That's why a we lot say of I love us. Mm-hmm. I find a lot of wisdom in being a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I find a lot of wisdom in that. I find a, I, that's where I reach for my and wisdom. pleasure. Yes, I find a lot of pleasure in being a woman. You know, but but that's not that's not the beginning or the end of me. No, and and here's the thing: if we weren't defining them politically, that's it. Those terms would be expansive. They would be expansive. Like, what is black? It's all right it all colors are in black what is woman like you know but we don't we mm. really limit these terms even to their when we think about we, them and define yeah, ourselves they're very social it's political. true when we're it's talking like about culture they're exciting mm-hmm. when we're talking about cuban culture versus if we're talking about cuban politics we're, right. we're talking about two very different right. things right right but in this moment where like identity it can be so expansive and just like you said it can open up all of these new doorways and all of the beauty and expansion that it can be but it doesn't 
it doesn't feel like it is all of the time. I think a lot of it has to is wrapped up in just power politics around like mm-hmm. cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and not touching something that mm-hmm. doesn't belong mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. to the extent that we stifle the possibility mm-hmm. of like just learning and mm-hmm. loving each other mm-hmm. and oh. like and and just absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm gonna tell everybody I created this universe. And I'm gonna wear whatever the fuck I want. I'm gonna do whatever the For fuck sure. I want. I'm gonna. I sure. created this place. I'm the original woman. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's I'm, I'm gonna do it. You, 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 could, you could. You could. You could call it what you want. You call it what call you, it want. What you I, want. I'm not gonna be here talking about who's appropriating what. I have better things to do with my time. Yeah. But when I want to express myself, mm-hmm. I shall. Right. Because you can right. always find a black woman who was doing that shit. Yeah. It's who's still doing it right now. Period. Right. And I will say right. the two the two avenues that we talk about a lot to get us to transcend the social political aspect of identities mm-hmm. is it are two things that are highly controlled, sex yeah. and God. Yeah. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. If you wanna if you wanna limit people's ability to understand their ex, the the expansiveness of who they are, mm-hmm. right? You you t- you attack those two things. When you think about colonization, when we talk about enslavement, these these factors we're huge, right? And so, like, I still, even as you're talking about that, I'm like, yeah, because, you know, a good orgasm. A good orgasm. Right. I mean, anything's possible. Like, you can be anything in that moment. You can manifest some. It does. New dimensions And it reminds you that if you're capable of holding that, then what can't you do? You know, Mm. after you know, whatever you do afterwards. You shower, have some Kool-Aid, whatever you do. But you know what I'm saying? Like, Yes, dear. But you said you like that. No, I, I like. I like that. You we know, gonna, I know we, we know we get the low eyes. I like, I like that. We we gonna reach for the final thoughts because we can't go we past can't do, orgasm. We can't go. <laughs> Once we you can't, reach the orgasm, the conversation is done. No, we know to get the low sexy eyes. You know to get the low sexy eyes. I know I hit it. I know I did the right thing. You can have multiple orgasms. We might have to come back. Fumi Lola might have to come on. Guess guess again. I'm gonna be right back, y'all. I, I would love, love to come back and then take it past the conversation because <laughs> yeah. then we get into another level of past pleasure and orgasm. But we gonna oh my lord! Any final so thoughts? Good. Final thoughts, ladies? I'm just really happy we had this conversation. It felt so good. I don't think people get to hear, mm. and even people who don't identify with the identities that we talked about, because Afro Latinidad is a whole other mm-hmm. ball game, right? Yeah. Um, but I think people should start to talk more about like who they are on in a more complex way, yeah, and with joy, and even identify like what are you a writer? What are you? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I paint, I do whatever. Yeah. Like identify by all your identities. Don't box yourself into one or two. If you have to use it social politically, you know, do what you have to do. But don't internalize that. Mm-hmm. Don't yes. internalize that box. Don't let it cage you. I do let it, it serve its an, purpose. Is this words from the heart? I would just wrap it up. Yeah, it's words from the heart. Oh, I got my word. Okay, let me hear your word, Thea. Oh. I hear my words. Oh. So I'm ending with the Audrey Lord quote that I'll probably get tattooed on myself sometime this summer. I already did a consult. Um, if I didn't define myself for myself, I'd be crunched into other people's fantasies of me and eaten alive. Mm-hmm. I live by this quote. Now. Yes. And that is true, and so it is. Um, I have my words from the heart, you know, because I'll be listening to all Because you heart, be ready. And I'm ready with my words from the heart. Um, a quote from Maya Angelou. Each of us has that right, that possibility to invent ourselves daily. If a person does not invent herself, she will be invented. So 
to be bodacious enough to invent ourselves is wise. I love it. Um, I don't have any quotes. (laughs) However, you know, I'm in the process right now of um, asking myself a lot of questions about who I am and not giving myself the, the normal answer. The answer that I've always been given, been giving, but rather digging deep and asking who I am right now. Who am I after all of these things have happened? Mm-hmm. You know, who am I after this deep grief? Who am I? Mm-hmm. Who am I beyond a mother? Who am I beyond the bills? Who am I beyond? Like, what? Who am I? Who am I right now? And what do I want to do? You know, this is this is the self identity, and I think that that's. That's something that happens every morning. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, when I Decision. when I woke up yesterday and the day before and today, those are three different people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Those are yes. three different people. Mm-hmm. Like yes. and it can it can sound a bit out out of control if you're thinking about it like that, but these are three different people. And and who I am this morning when I woke up, I was so proud of everything I went through yesterday. Hmm. And I felt so good to be awakened. And I had a lot of appreciation for all the hard lessons I learned yesterday. And I was ready to really have a good time today, you know? And I kind of wanted to end on that. Like, I've been thinking a lot about joy and pleasures really entering our culture. Mm -hmm. People are, I saw someone's bio, it said pleasurist. I said, oh, shit. I'm I'm a pleasurist. But I, I wanted to say... You, you you can have it all. Yes. You can have your pain and your pleasure. You can have your joy and your pain. Mm-hmm. Like and and still be the joy still have the podcast where you talk about joy and pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. You can still have the grief and still be mm-hmm. laughing moments later. You know? You can have it all. You are a universe you, of oh. great capacity. Absolutely. We thank y'all. We thank you, Fumi Lola. For coming, we're we're so grateful that you came and blessed us with your big brain that you got over there. <laughs> big old brain, big and old she, pretty brain, and she beautiful too. Yeah, big old I mean, pretty brain. She's shiny. No need like she shiny. She's so gorgeous. It's no need like surrounds herself with it's shiny. People. So dumb. How beautiful this woman is. Like I'm just gonna make a film of her. I just lay in her IG. Just, just dream about her face. Just doing stuff on camera. <laughs> Not like that girl. Yeah, Not yeah, like yeah. that though. I mean, you know. These. I'm not in the adult film world just yet. <laughs> It'll be not, you said It'll be not tasteful. yet. It'll be tasteful. See, y'all make me feel like I'm doing something right with my life. Y'all make me feel like I did something now, right with my life. Now, now your your parents will be like, "What is the adult film she is talking about? <laughs> what yeah. what film?" Please take yourself away from these two ladies. They sounded nice on the program, but please remove yourself. They, they do not like Jesus. This is not eh? uh-huh. What did you say about my Jesus, <laughs> my dear? Go on. Go take a shower and go pray, please. I, I love Jesus for the record. Jesus is the bombest mission ever. Jesus is the it's a bomb story. Jesus is the homeboy. Yes, you are. We here. I have to say, I'm Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Oh, you right.